Well, good morning and, and welcome. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can turn in them to Mark chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, the scripture we're going to be looking at is inside your bulletin. It'll also be up on the screen, but there's a place in the bulletin to take notes if you'd like to do that. We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 10, verses uh, 13 to 16. So yes, um, before we jump into this, though, um, I want to just remind you of where we've been, just so you catch the context. We're in a series called Following Greatness, um, where Jesus is redefining greatness for us. Um, all of us are driven by things. We're dri- we, we, we strive after things, our energy, our efforts, our time, our talent. We chase after things because we want to have a great life. And Jesus says, you know what? I want you to have a great life too. And then there are two kinds of greatness that you can run after. You can run after greatness that actually won't make you happy. Or you can run after the greatness that I have for you. And if you follow my greatness, you'll have a life of significance. You'll have a life that satisfies you. You won't have a life that's perfect in any way. You won't have a life that is even comfortable Um, but you will feel fulfilled and purposeful in your life. And that's what Jesus is offering us. That's his greatness. And he's showing us how to follow his greatness in Mark 9 and 10. And I want to just show you, this is what we've seen so far uh, in our series. We've seen that that, um, that following Jesus' greatness, uh, we're to see suffering as opportunity and not loss. So when you suffer, it's not that something's gone wrong, um, but when you suffer, it's an opportunity to show God's power. Um, Jesus' greatness depends on God. And so don't seek to be independent and free from responsibilities. No, 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 depend on God and be dependent on him. Third, you want to serve with your life. Don't try to be first. Don't try to be better than other people. If you're in the comparison game, that's not going to get you anywhere except frustrated. Um, And so serve, don't try to be first. And then last week we saw that Jesus' greatness lives under the authority of the Bible. So here's what's exciting about Jesus' greatness is that you can do all of these things no matter what the circumstances are of your life. Okay, let that sink in for a moment. I'll say it another way. The only thing that's standing between you and this kind of greatness is your desire to follow Jesus. Okay, what we're seeing in these chapters is that following Jesus isn't just, I believe in Jesus, but it's actually following his pattern of life. Okay? And if you follow his pattern of life, you can choose to do these four things. You can choose to make these a commitment of your life. And you can have Jesus' greatness no matter what works in your life or doesn't. No matter what your circumstances are. No matter what your family is like. No matter what your job is like. No matter what your neighborhood or your friends are like. No matter what happens in your life. You can choose to do these things. And if you do, you will have a life of greatness in Jesus's eyes, that's exciting. I mean, that's motivating to me, you know, because so much of the greatness that I'm tempted to chase after is stuff where I do my darndest and then I need other things to work out. And if other things don't work out, then all of my efforts are worthless. But Jesus is offering us a greatness that is regardless of our circumstances that we can have. And that, that gets me fired up. So today we're going to see that Jesus' greatness leads us to think about children differently, okay? It's, it's one where instead of being the sort of high, lofty vision sort of thing about your life, this is very specific in Jesus' view of children. Now, I know that not all of you have kids. That's okay. Today, instead of tuning out, this is what I want you to see. For those of you who don't have kids, 
One, you might have kids someday, so this is a great chance for you to learn, right? Your best lessons are learned before you're suffering because you didn't learn them yet. And so the more you can learn about being a parent before you have kids, man, you'll save yourself and your kids a lot of heartache. Two, you actually do have kids now. Church family. Our church family has kids, and the kids in our church need you. They're part of this family. You are part of this family. The kids in our church of all ages, they need a community of people that they can look at and look to, people who are following Jesus and walking with him in a way that helps them to see what their faith could look like, okay? Parents need more than just themselves. They need other adults modeling the faith in front of their kids, and so you do have kids now, and our kids need authentic followers of Jesus and people who are willing to care for them to make time for them. And then third, kids in some ways congruent to disciples, okay? And so this actually is discipleship training. What Jesus says, the principles of this passage are applicable to all of us um, to help each other grow as disciples of Jesus. And so the things that I talk about with parents and kids are things that all of us can apply in the relationships that we have because discipleship is part of God's call for all of our lives, whether we have kids or not. So with that, let's read this passage together. Mark 10, verses 13 to 16. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Friends, this is God's word. The first point we're going to see here in this passage, if you want to take notes, is that children need to be brought to Jesus. Okay, children need to be brought to Jesus. This passage shows that Jesus had a radically different view of the children of believers than either his Jewish contemporaries or his Roman. I mean, I say the children of believers because in this passage, the children and the infants that Jesus is taking into his arms and holding, the the, the children and the infants that he's putting his hands on and blessing, they were the children whose parents were bringing them to him, okay? And so I'm not just, this isn't a holistic teaching on children in general, but this is specifically children whose parents are bringing them to Jesus, okay? So these are Parents who are believing in Jesus and following him. And we know they're not even parents who are coming because they want their children to be healed because this isn't Jesus healing in this passage. Jesus is blessing them. And so what we see here is that these people believed in Jesus and they wanted their children to know him. Now I need to tell you, as I've studied this, I'd heard some things about this, but when I got deeper into it this week, um, I was kind of shocked. The culture back then viewed children primarily as worthless until they could contribute meaningfully. Okay, this was the the mentality. And so children, and again, this is back then, along with women, old men, and slaves, were viewed as physically weak burdens on society who had little value to the wider life of the community. Okay, this is not the Bible's view. Let me just make that clear. This is the view of the culture that Jesus is clearly here correcting, okay? Um, 
In Greece and in Rome, it was an accepted practice to abandon unwanted children along the roadside to die. It was common for children to be left out in the open. They call that exposure. Children who died before having their baby teeth come in yet. Okay, so we're talking like four to six months, depending on the child. Um, If a child were to die with no baby teeth, they were actually given no kind of death ceremony. Okay, and one author said that babies without teeth were thought of as a different species in the ancient world. So the way that they were treated when they died showed that the parents didn't think that they were actually worth having a ceremony uh, when they died. And so until, um, until children were able to contribute, they were worthless. Um, most children were actually taught to speak by household slaves, not their parents. And the statistics show, um, based on the research that historians have done, is that 50% of children died before they made it to maturity. And so I think that's maybe also part of the callousness toward children. You know, if half of them are going to die at birth, or if a a fourth of them are going to die at birth, a third of them are going to die at birth, you tend to you know, the first one is earth-shatteringly awful, the second one is earth-shatteringly awful, the third one is earth-shatteringly awful, the fourth one is earth-shatteringly awful, only a little bit less so. You know, in the hundred and first, you understand, like, you can see how a culture would become a little bit sensitized um, to what was going on. But 50% of children died before they made it to adulthood. So I've got um, a couple of quotes here that I want to share with you, one from a Roman and one from a Jew. Um, This is Pliny the Younger, who was a Roman political leader in the generation after Jesus, he said this, I live in an age where even one child is thought to be a burden preventing the rewards of childlessness. Okay, this is a Roman leader, political leader. Um, And then here's a quote from the Jewish world, um, much different, much more spiritual spin put on this. Vulnerability and dependence of kids distracts us from Bible study and good deeds. (laughs) And so, Jewish world, Roman and Greek world, um, what's at the core of this, this thinking about children this way, it believes that, you know what, that for parents, life is about me. I think greatness is life revolving around me. And kids are frustrating and they get in the way of the life that I want. Now, I don't know if any of you feel like this is anywhere connected to where you are. Um, At first, I'm reading this, I'm like, man, well, we're not like this at all. Like, this isn't what we struggle with. But how often do we ignore the needs of our kids for our jobs or for our careers or for our own comfort? Um, How often is the remote control more inviting um, than spending time reading a book or reading to your kids or just spending time ask, talking to them. I think that this kind of mentality is exactly what the majority of our abortion culture in our day believes. Now, I think that's a statement that needs conversation and relationship, but I do hear the same language that kids can be an inconvenient reality and that my needs come first. Uh, We need to be careful in our thinking about children. And what's great is that Jesus didn't see children like this. Jesus came not for the well, but he came for the weak. Jesus came for the needy. 
He didn't come for the righteous, but he came for sinners. Jesus didn't come for the well, but he came for the sick. We've seen that in Mark's gospel already. To Jesus, children were precious to him and to God. Even before they can contribute, right? Even when they're infants. I mean, these are children that are tiny enough to be held in Jesus' arms, right? And so even at that point, before they can contribute, they're an opportunity for you to show to them the love of God, right? You can, you can display the love of God who loves and cares for those who cannot care for themselves in the way that you treat children. And even if they don't survive to adulthood, even if half of the children that were in Jesus' arms, even if half of those children died before they got to be mature, they're still precious to God And if they're brought to Jesus, they will praise God forever. I mean, think about that. They will one day, in C.S. Lewis's words, they will one day look so glorious that if you were to see them now, the way they will be, you would be tempted to bow down and worship them. Now, I think today we sometimes err on the opposite side of things. Um, I think instead of neglecting children, today a lot of people idolize them. Um, kids can become little gods that their parents worship. Uh, and when parents find their identity in their children's successes and failures, um, when parents don't discipline their kids or don't tell them no. Laney was telling me uh, this week about the mommy wars that get fought over the internet. Um, these are the arguments, the polarizing, calloused arguments over breastfeeding versus bottle feeding over whether children sleep in bed with their parents or not. Um, These are our parents who fight about parenting philosophies. And it seems like the parents who engage in these wars are using their children again for their own greatness. They're using their children again uh, to promote their own self-righteousness. And I think this is, again, another way, just another way of believing that kids are about me, the parent. And so to neglect or to idolize your kids um, have one thing in common. Both, both sort of approaches, both, um, both sides are about my greatness as a parent. And the solution for this is in our passage. It's point one. The children need to be brought to Jesus. And we're going to talk about this in our third point. Uh, but we've got to cover something important first. Our second point before we talk about how is that adults need to be children of God or need to become children of God. This is what Jesus says next. Um, If you think about what children need from adults, they need to be brought to Jesus. Well, what do adults need from children? Adults need to follow children in their relationship with God. Okay, adults need to follow their children in their relationship with God. Jesus says that children are models for adults at the end of verse 14 and verse 15. Go ahead and look at that in your bulletin. Jesus says, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. Why? Well, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And so Jesus sees children differently than most parents. Okay, what Jesus sees, he doesn't see them as, see here, go to the next slide. Um, Jesus doesn't see them as perfect or innocent. Okay, they make mistakes, they are born sinful, 
and they have a bent to them that if it's not corrected will actually lead them into all kinds of sin and evil. Um, so Jesus doesn't see them as perfect or innocent, but he sees them as dependent. He sees them as trusting, and he sees them as having great faith. Jesus realizes that, that children are, they're willing to live under authority, at least for a while. Um, children are willing to follow parents or leaders, and children receive what they've been given. And so Jesus has this image of these children. Instead of seeing them as just bundles of frustration, Jesus sees them as souls. He sees them as, 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 as created by God to worship, serve, and enjoy him in all of life, um, as people who are born in sin and desperately need their foolishness and their waywardness corrected. And so Jesus says, we need to become like them or see that we are like them. If we are children of God, the question we want to ask ourselves is, are we following the example of children in our own relationship with him? I mean, there's teeth in Jesus' words here. Right? Jesus says, if you don't do this, you will not enter the kingdom of God. Verse 15, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And so if we are not like them with God, if we're not humble, if we're not dependent, if we're not trusting, if we don't have faith in God, if we're not willing to live under his authority, if we're not willing to follow him and receive what he has given us, the good and the bad, we will not enter his kingdom. That means you won't experience God now in your life and you won't be in the fullness of God's kingdom when Jesus returns. And so this hits us on a few levels. I mean, one, this hits us on the level of, as adults, this hits us at, like, how are we doing being children of God? Like, are we actually living and acting and receiving what God is doing as a child? It also hits us as a parent, for those of us who are parents. Um, this hits us for those of us who aren't parents and, and don't have our own kids. But, um, like, again, the question for us is, are you bringing, like, are you going to Jesus, number one? Are you bringing your kids to Jesus, number two? And then number three, are you discipling other people? Are you engaged in the process of helping other people grow spiritually? In all of these ways, we come to God, we go to Jesus, we bring our children to Jesus, and then we bring each other to Jesus. And the question for us is, are we doing this? Are we doing this? The good news that is underneath this passage is that if you have sinned as a parent or as a child of God, then know that if you're willing to become as a child, Jesus will accept you. And this is the goodness of Jesus. I want you to hear this. With Jesus, every correction that he offers is an invitation to come back. Every time Jesus corrects you, it's an invitation for you to come back. Jesus doesn't correct us. He doesn't confront us to drive us away. Jesus corrects us because he wants us to be brought near. 
Jesus sees the things that need to be corrected as like walls that exist between us and God. And Jesus comes to us wanting to remove those walls so that we can walk with God, so that we can have him as our father, so that we can know his love and live with him. And so for Jesus, again, correction is designed for restoration. Correction is designed to invite us to come back. I mean, don't you see that in this passage? I mean, in this passage, Jesus rebukes his disciples. He was indignant. He was angry. You think about the kinds of things that got Jesus angry. This was one of them, keeping children away from him. But then he invites him back. He says, whoever becomes as a child... um, and so, so where we have not been great like this, where we have not seen the needy like this in our lives, we need to see again Jesus' greatness as our Savior. Okay? Because in our sin, we neglect children or we idolize them. Okay? And if we don't have children, we sin when we don't engage in discipleship. When we aren't pursuing Jesus ourselves and in helping other people to pursue him too. But I want you to see Jesus again in this passage. Here in this passage, Jesus is accepting children. This is such an amazing picture. The the, the people were bringing children to Jesus. He was receiving them. And even when the disciples, for whatever reason, you know, were saying, no, no, cut that out. When they were rebuking parents, Jesus stopped them. And he said, no, 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 my arms are open wide for children and for people who have the faith of children. And so Jesus is here. He's living to bring children and adults to God so that they can know him. And Jesus does this, the rest of the story tells us, at the cost of his own life. Okay? God's offer of forgiveness and reconciliation to us is free. But for Jesus, it costs him the ultimate price. And so I want you to think about it this way. For every time that we have failed to love our children with God's love, Jesus paid the price. For every time that we fail to react to them as God reacts to them, for every time that we have failed to bring our children to Jesus because we've either wanted to exclude them or because we've been angry and bitter and sinned against them in our anger, For every time we have failed our children, Jesus was forsaken by the Father on the cross. Jesus hung on the cross and God turned his back on his own begotten son so that when you come back to Jesus, God will receive you and welcome you with open arms. And so Jesus was kept away from God so that we who have lived apart from him might be adopted children of God. Friends, that is good news. And this is an explanation of what it means to be born again, right? To become as a child with God, to start over. And when you have this relationship, now you are ready to bring your children to God in a gospel-centered way. And this is our last point. First, children need to be brought to Jesus. Second, adults need to be or become children of God. And then third, produce children of God by parenting. 
Okay? This is the call for us, that we are to produce children of God by parenting. And again, when I say parenting, there are principles that apply to discipleship. So again, the principles of parenting apply to how you can help people um, in your life to know Jesus and walk with him. What do children need from us? I think simply put, children need from us the ability to see and experience a consistent life with Jesus. I think that's the goal of parenting, is that you would live in a way that your children would be able to see and experience a consistent life with Jesus. Points one and two are vital, because I think we kind of know this. If you've been in the church for any length of time, you kind of know that children need to be brought to Jesus. But we forget that we need to be children of God before our children can become children of God. And it's not just that you call yourself a Christian that makes you a child, but I mean, we need to live as though we are children of God because what our children need is what God gives to us, right? Our children need what we need. Okay, what do we need? Well, we need the gospel. We need instruction. We need community. We need accountability. We need a mission, and we need to grow in maturity. And so what our kids need is exactly what we need, and the glory of the way God has built the family and the way God has designed parenting is that, man, all you need to do is live in a relationship with Jesus where you are pursuing after him and then invite your kids to be part of your relationship with Jesus. It doesn't get that much more complicated. I mean, I know it does. I have four kids from 17 down to nine, so we've... You know, we've, we've been parenting and, and been doing this for a while. Um, and I know it does get really complicated, but it's also very simple. You need to be pursuing Jesus as a child of God. And if you're doing that, then your children are some of the community that Jesus wants you to bring along with you in your relationship with him. What does that mean? I'm just going to give you um, just a, a couple of things. Um, first, you need to... Um, Parent your children as those who are in Christ, okay? Which means treat your kids as though they're in Christ. What does that mean? Well, let me give you a verse first. Ephesians chapter 6. We don't have a slide for it, so you're going to have to listen, or if you have your Bibles, this is where you get a bonus for having your Bible. It says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It's Ephesians 6.1. Yeah, this is one of the verses that parents will teach their kids to memorize. And, and I, <laughs> it's kind of self-serving a little bit. Um, but I can tell you that I would guess, I would guess, go out on a limb here, I would guess that I'll say 75% of parents who teach their kids to memorize this verse, who might know this verse also, don't actually know what it means. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. What does it mean to obey in the Lord? It means out of the fullness of their relationship with Jesus. In the book of Ephesians, which is not the book we're preaching on right now, but it's as helpful. In the book of Ephesians, the phrase in the Lord or in Christ or in Jesus is used over 30 times. And it's always referring to believers who have the strength of Jesus. And that strength of Jesus is the source of their obedience. And so after 
Paul gives them the glory of the gospel. He says, children, you have this power in you. And from that power, obey your parents. What does this mean? It means that parents need to bring them to Jesus constantly, but you need to help your your kids understand that they have the Spirit of God in them. So when you tell them to obey, you say, you know what, you don't have the strength to do this. But you know what? Jesus perfectly obeyed his Father, and Jesus lives in you. And by his strength, you can obey. Look, I know that you don't have the self-control to not complain and gripe and fuss. But let me show you, let me read for you this passage about Jesus. That... Um, that he never sinned. He was tempted in all ways like us, and he never sinned. And so Jesus, even when he was a child, he never disobeyed his parents. And so you can't do this, but Jesus did. He did this for you, and his strength is now in you. It means treating our kids not as though someday they might get the Holy Spirit if they're lucky, but it means treating them as ones who do have the Spirit of God. As we parent that way, our children will grow up in the faith. They'll grow up believing in Jesus and understanding that Jesus lived and died for them, right? Lived a perfect life so they don't have to, died the death they deserve so that they're forgiven and accepted by God. That's Christ's work for them, but we want to raise them knowing Christ's work in them. And Paul tells us to parent our children as those who are in Christ. I mean, this is why we baptize our children, right? It's because it's this picture of the Holy Spirit descending on our kids. I mean, in this passage, right, if you look back, you have Jesus who is bringing children to him. You have Jesus who is holding these children in his arms. You have Jesus who is putting his hand on them. He's laying his hands on them and blessing them. I mean, could it be that the disciples would see this and think, wow, when the new covenant church begins and we see people coming into the faith, should we, and we're going to baptize them, should we baptize kids too? Seems pretty obvious, and that's exactly what the church did. In Acts 2, 38, Peter said, repent, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Receive the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children. In Acts chapter 10, we see um, that Cornelius becomes a Christian and his whole household is baptized with him. In Acts 16, God opens Lydia's heart and she believes and she is baptized along with her whole household is baptized with her. And we see it over and over and over again in the book of Acts. It was a normative practice in the church that children were baptized. And it's because of this promise. It's because, I mean, in some ways, it's from the ministry of Jesus. That Jesus brought them into his arms, laid hands, blessed them, made it really clear that what his teaching was, that to follow him had an impact on your kids. And so bring them to. So this, again, is why we baptize our kids. And we can talk more about that. But so you want to equip your kids as those who are in Christ. And then you want to discipline your kids. Secondly, you want to discipline your kids with gospel correction. Okay, discipline your kids with gospel correction. Okay, and so this means both correction and assurance. 
the book of Proverbs says the rod and reproof, okay? And so what does this mean? Well, this means that when your children do things that are wrong, when, the, when your children disobey your rules, whether they're God's rules um, or if you set up rules about, like, don't touch the blinds because the Bible doesn't say thou shalt not touch the blinds or thou shalt not touch the stove. Like, I mean, when I say arbitrary rules that you create, I'm not talking about at your whim or using or abusing your authority to, you know, to be domineering in the home. But I'm saying that, like, your biblical rules and the rules that you establish for their safety and the well-being of the house, when they break your rules, there need to be clear and painful consequences that you can deliver under control, okay? So there need to be clear and painful consequences that you can deliver under control. And so this is where I think spanking is a wonderful way to do this. I think spanking is, the, is, God, is one of God's greatest gifts to parents if it's done right, okay? It can, it can be physically abusive. I know there's all kinds of wars over this kind of stuff when it comes to how do you discipline your kids, um, Spanking can produce incredible godliness and gospel correction in your kids if it's done under control. What does that mean? That means that you need to be able to administer the spanking completely under control. Um, Gosh, how much detail do I get into? If you're swinging so hard that you're out of control, then you're not under control. If you have to swing your hand so hard that you lose control or your teeth get gritted in a way that makes you look like you have a demon on your face... Um, then you might need to get something else to help you not to have to swing so hard. Um, And so if you're flying off the handle, that's sinning in your anger. If you are disciplining your kids in any way, whether it's verbal or physically um, in any way, um, you are sinning in your anger, and that's not gospel correction. But if you are under control and delivering um, clear, uh, painful consequences... Um, then you are doing the first half of gospel correction, okay? If you don't spank, if you choose not to spank, I think the Bible makes it clear that you can spank, but I think there are other options um, uh, available to people that don't want to spank for whatever reason. Then, if you don't spank, your non-spanking has to be consistent and clear. Um, And I can tell you that that's one of the most difficult things for any parent in any kind of discipline format. It's being consistent and clear, and so you need to let your kids know what they did in a calm frame of mind. You need to help your kids understand these are the consequences that they already know about. And then you need to administer the consequences consistently. Okay? This is how you raise your kids. And then, so that's the first half is sort of the, the correction piece. Um, but all discipline has to conclude with gospel-centered reconciliation. Gospel-centered reconciliation. So this means gospel forgiveness and reconciliation. And so your discipline can bring your kids to Jesus maybe better and more clearly than anything else that you do if you do it this way. What does that mean? Well, this means that when you're done, when the punishment is over, when the spanking is over, this means that you are present with your child. This means you hug your child. This means you um, you tell your child that you love your child and you give your child a chance to make things right, okay? And so what does this mean? This means you tell your child, okay, you need to apologize for what you've done. Mommy, I'm sorry that I disobeyed you. Please forgive me. Like, they need to say that. Mommy, I'm sorry I hit my sister. Please forgive me. Dad, I'm sorry that I threw the TV off the balcony to see the kind of mess it would make. Please forgive me. 
Um, you need to get them to learn how to confess their sins and to make it right. Okay, you're training them not just to be your children, but to be God's child, because this is exactly what God calls us to do, right? This is the practice of your own life, right? When you sin, you go to the Lord and you say, God, I am sorry that I lusted after this woman. God, I am sorry that I was rude to my coworker. God, I'm sorry that I was short with my neighbor last week. God, I'm sorry, right? Please forgive me. Please forgive me. God, this doesn't honor you. It's not honoring to you. And I want to confess it and I want to turn from it. Thank you for Jesus, right? Thank you for Jesus who lived for me and died for me. Help me to grow, right? And so when your kids, you teach your kids to apologize and to repent. And when they do that, you say, I forgive you. When, you do, when they do that, you turn on joy. You find joy. If you're not ready to be joyful when they confess, then don't discipline them yet. Wait until you're ready to be able to rejoice with them in their confession and apology. Um, when they confess, say, I forgive you. I forgive you. Hug them, love them, kiss them. Begin to play with them. Turn that reconciliation into a time of rejoicing. Be the father who runs down the road, grabs his son, cuts him off in the middle of his confession and says, we're going to have a party because you were lost, but now you're found. You want to have a tiny, tiny taste of that kind of thing every time you discipline your kids. Does that make sense? Are you with me? I mean, this is what gospel correction is, and this is how you discipline your kids. And I can tell you that, man, that is, does it get old? Yeah, it gets old. Is, it, is there anything more important? No, there's nothing more important. Um, because you have sinned a thousand times, 10,000 times, 100,000 times last week. No. Um, and God has extended to you his grace. His mercies are new every single morning. And you want to communicate that to your kids. You want to let them know that there is no end to your forgiveness. Not because you are forgiving like that, but because God has forgiven you like that. Again, what your children need in your parenting is to see your relationship with God. And if it means, you know what, being honest with them and saying, kids, like I am still really frustrated, um, but God has been so gracious to me when I have frustrated him that I, I just want you to know that I love you and I forgive you and I'm just so glad that you're my child. I love you not because of what you do or don't do. I love you because of who you are. I love you because you're my child. I mean, this is God's word to us, and this is how we model a relationship with him. And so, I mean, this, I mean, this is what Jesus is aiming us at. This is what, I mean, this is a big part of discipleship. Okay, and so... Um, we need to equip them as those who are in Christ. We need to discipline them with gospel correction. And then, and this is true for all discipleship, we need to help them to pursue Jesus. Right? And so this means that we need to spend time with them. We need to spend our lives teaching and reading and talking about our relationship with God. That's kind of how it starts. And this is true, again, in parenting and in discipleship. It starts with you just communicating about your relationship with God. Like, oh, this is what I learned when I was reading the Bible this morning. 
or this is what I learned last week because we haven't talked for a little bit. I just want to tell you what God has been teaching me. And it starts with you communicating to them and then sort of like seeing if you can if get elicit any kind of a response. Sometimes just get a grunt. Sometimes you get a nothing. Um, and over time as they get older, if you're practicing this kind of parenting and this kind of relationship building over time, then they'll begin to say, you can ask them, so what are you learning? Or you read a passage together and say, gosh, what jumps out at you? Or how does this strike you? Or how do we see Jesus in this passage? How do you see Jesus in this passage? Um, and in that process, in that process of bringing them to Jesus, you'll get to know what, what's going on in their life. Um, I think about the, the, the image that, that stuck out to me um, of what Jesus is trying to produce and what Jesus' vision is, I think, from this passage. I was thinking about, like, what is a, a mature child? Like, someone who is, um, like, maybe they're coming of age, maybe they're 18, 19 years old, and they're going into the family business, okay? Um, maybe, um, like, their parents sells, dad sells uh, real estate. And so, uh, son is growing up, and, and I picture that son at 18 or 19 um, years old, excited about real estate and working in the office with his dad. I think about the kind of um, the kind of trust that the son has in his dad, the kind of faith that the son has in his dad, because his dad has been doing this for so long. But then I also think about the kind of creativity that the son might bring to the table, because the son might not be exactly like his dad. And the son might bring new ideas. The son might bring new ways of thinking about things. The son might know technology that the dad doesn't know. Um, but they're united on a common mission, right, to take care of people and help them find home, right? That's what they're doing for a living. They're helping the community. They're honoring God with the work that they do. They're on mission together with their jobs. But they both have unique contributions that they make. And I feel like that's the vision that we have for parenting, like, that's the vision that we have for discipleship, is that we are on mission with God, and we want to bring our children or the people that we're discipling along with us, knowing that um, as they respect us, us respecting the differences that they have, working together as a family. Um, I think this is God's vision for us and for our kids. This is the vision that comes when we are bringing ourselves to Jesus, and we bring them along with us. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for this image of you with children. Thank you for the implications that this has. Uh, thank you for welcoming us back and for being forsaken so that we would never be. Jesus, draw us near and help us to walk in this this week. Help us to experience the gospel and then to share it with our kids. We pray this in your name. Amen.